You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? everyone and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great episode that I cannot wait to share with you. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. This is our last podcast for the month of February. And uh, to sort of do the other side of the coin of the fatal attraction coin, which we did last week, um, we are going to shake it up with a love story, a romantic comedy, a the quintessential romantic comedy, if you will, When Harry Met Sally. And and um, when Harry Met Sally was picked by Michael Verratti, Michael Verratti is a, um, a jack of all trades in many ways. He is a writer. He is an actor and he is the host of the fan favorite podcast, Dead for Filth. Um, I was so happy to have Michael on. And so Michael and I kind of have a similar kind of a similar thing in that we're mostly known in the genre community. We love horror movies, of course, but, um, we know we have other interests as well. And, uh, so Michael decided that he wanted to pick when Harry met Sally, because in addition to being, um, a person who talks and analyze, uh, talks about and analyzes genre films and hosts a genre focused podcast, um, and, uh, is, has lots of friends throughout the like horror community here in Los Angeles. Michael writes, uh, lots of romantic comedies that are mostly made for television and um so he picked when harry met sally and i was so glad that he did because this is truly one of my most favorite movies um ever i'm a huge rob reiner fan i love meg ryan um fan of billy crystal and of course the late great nora efron um we talk a lot about Nora Ephron in this movie or in this podcast. We talk a lot about relationships, very real talk about real, real relationship things um, and uh, and and have a real admiration for the the finer things. You know, when Harry Met Sally is a movie that people think they know or they've seen, you've seen a million clips and all of that. But I would argue it's a movie that absolutely holds up and it works um, not just in clip form in retrospectives, but actually as a, it's a wonderful movie. And, um, I think several years later it is still, I guess this year, actually, it'll be celebrating its 20th anniversary. No, it's 30th anniversary. So there you go. Um, so 30 years later and it still endures. And, um, but Michael and I also talk about some of the people who are associated with this film who have been lost, um, including Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher, who give excellent performances in this movie. Um, and once again, Nora Ephron, who wrote this wonderful film and uh, that still, I think, you know, it was the perfect combination between Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner um, and of course the cast and everything. But I think the two of them putting their... Um, romantic hearts together and funny their romantic and funny hearts together gave us uh gave us when harry met sally so without further ado here you go michael Verratti and i talking about when harry met sally 
I, I was going through the AFI list and I looked and I saw it. And then when I went to your site, mm-hmm. I was like, surely someone's picked this movie before. Nope. And so, uh, I mean, and then there were the ones that, there is something kind of intimidating about these monolithic movies. Totally. Like, I appreciate that, uh, was your first episode of The Godfather? Yes, it was. Yeah, with Sam Levine. Yes. Uh, and I feel like, one, Sam's a great person to talk about that movie. But then I also thought to myself, I, growing up, like, in an Italian house, like, had to deal with, like, The Godfather as sort of this cultural thing yeah. so much that, like, I have an appreciation for it, but, like, I don't know where I would, like, want to begin with that. But it's a movie I like. I agree. Um, or when I was a kid, I used to rent Terminator 2 all the time. Yes. But it's also, in a way, there's something about larger movies, that, that kind of like the idea of these movie movies that to me is intimidating, whereas this is a micro-movie, yeah. but that's what makes it so special. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It's um, Michael Kennedy picked uh, picked Terminator 2, Judgment right. Day, um, and what was interesting about that is he mostly picked it because he wanted to talk about comparing it to Halloween uh, yeah. 2018, and so, but that's such a small movie also. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, it's really, it can be overwhelming in terms of having these discussions about these huge movies. Like when I had a gal on, her name's Blair Bercy. She's awesome. She's a podcast producer and um, she picked Jaws. And ultimately what we really zeroed in on was the characters. Right. It's such a strong character piece for so many of those characters. And so it's like, yes, you can talk about, and we touched on the blockbuster of it all. It created a new right. movie going trend. Um, the, all the production problems that we know existed. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, to me, like, Martin Brody is just such a cool character. Do you think that's what modern... I mean, look, look we're already, like, essentially doing... Because this is what we both it's do good. is our job. I but um, I really feel like there is something to be said about character work yes. that maybe modern cinema lacks. Yes. Because I, I think about how... Um, I, it, it's nothing against the superhero glut of films at all, but it's just... I think of these movies uh, Terminator 2 is a great example because al- although the original Terminator is a great like midnight movie mm-hmm. what makes Terminator 2 work is this like trauma that we yes. had never seen before yes. in, in uh, sci-fi and so you have Linda Hamilton's l- quite literally driven mad by the idea of something but she's not because she knows it's real right. but no one else believes her and the, the trauma of surviving this event and I think that she's such a such the linchpin of that movie yeah I mean, everything about it's cool, but it wouldn't have been as cool without her. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and that was something that was really fun to look back on, was like the idea of the strong female character, the right. idea of um, the the of gaslighting. Right, um, oh, 100%. The, you know, and the idea of, of PTSD yeah. and, and women experiencing PTSD and all of those things coming together in a very, um, like I would argue James Cameron, at least in his persona and in his body of work, is very... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Not masculine, but like, you know, like, uh, oh God, I'm like, there's a perfect word for it too, and I'm totally not pulling it out. But um, he's, uh, but anyway, he he's such a tough guy, like, right. and, and not a soft, doesn't strike me as a soft person. No. And so yeah. it, it's like very interesting watching somebody like him trying to tell that right. story about 
feminine emotions or a woman experiencing these emotions with the weight of the world on her shoulders. And he, I would argue, probably told it the best way he could at that time. Right. But now that we've had 30 years, we're, or however many years, we're seeing like those elements being kind of fleshed out a little bit and, you know. Well, I mean, it was sort of like the uh, discussion on horror noir that we saw. But yes. or it's something we talk about about queer cinema all the time. Um, the fact that horror hasn't really done right by the trans community yes. at all. Yes. Yes. But when you look at it, so like uh, my producer on Dead for Filth, one of them, uh, she's a trans woman. Mm -hmm. And she uh, she loves Dress to Kill, mm. which is a vastly a problematic yes. trans movie. Yes. But we also have had this discussion. And it's sort of like even the discussion when you see gay people depicted on screen like in a decade like prior to like, you know, the 90s. Uh, we're either like these Nelly like effeminate crazy people who die first yep. or we're the villain and it's like some overwrought villain. Uh it's just so interesting how we'll allow things to be grandfathered in, like mm -hmm. the ending of Sleepaway Camp or right. like Dress to Kill. We love those movies. We celebrate those movies. Don't make them now. Yes. And that's exactly yes. it. Like if you show, uh, if you show Dress to Kill, we're all going to go watch it because right. we love it. We, re we recognize the camp value of it. Yes. But if you make the same movie in 2019, it's a problem. Yeah. 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 I think that's a that's a really really um, important point, and you know, look, it's different for everybody too. Yeah. It's I think you know one thing that uh, oh god, I'm I'm just such a space kid today. But there is a, I'll, it'll come to me later. But sometimes with these with um, like movies that have female leads that aren't your traditional female leads, yeah. and sometimes I'll hear like male usually male critics or, or reviewers kind of being like, I just couldn't get, I didn't, I didn't like her or she just didn't, it didn't make sense to me or this or that. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think that was the point. Like where you're supposed to feel that way. And, and, and I'm perfectly comfortable seeing a woman that is not perfect and right. makes mistakes or stupid decisions, or maybe I don't like her and, and that's okay. All of that being okay. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I get sent scripts to read for other people or like, you know, to do script work on and, it's still very much like, enter Amanda, comma, she's beautiful. And I'm like, okay, but no, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. That is not, that should not, like, maybe she is. Right. But that is not her de defining characteristic. Yes. It's like, especially when, like, the men get, like, a ten, like a three-line description, like, enter Kevin, he's tough as nails, ex-cop, who blah, 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 right. he's seen it all. You know, like, okay. Yeah. But she's pretty. Right. Yeah. Right. But then, and that's the, that's the, that's the picture that, you know, I think a lot of writers are comfortable painting. But that said, yeah. it's, it's changing, and it, at least it's trying to change, and I appreciate that. I always appreciate the effort. I yeah. appreciate the swing, you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are some where, oh my goodness, we just this episode. I don't think by the time this episode comes out, my interview or conversation with Gray Drake uh, from formerly from Rotten Tomatoes okay. um, it, she, it will have come out. But she picked um, the Seven Year Itch. Ooh. And I had never seen it, and neither had she. Okay. And um, I don't know if you have seen it. Yes. But it is... It's tricky. It was hard. Yeah. It was really challenging for both of us to, right. to hang an entire film on that man and that woman. Right. Um, and, you know, it was, it was tough. It was right. really, really tough. And, um, but you know, sometimes, like you said, sometimes things get grandfathered in. Uh, and sometimes you gotta kinda, I think we should leave them. Okay. 100%. I mean, like, I think of movies that are classics that, like, we all culturally love. I right. Mean, when you think of Breakfast at Tiffany's, how completely iconic is Audrey Hepburn? But then when you actually watch the movie, 
she's kind of a problem. Right. Uh, the Asian representation is hugely a problem. Absolutely. Like, there's all sorts of issues. Uh, but it's sort of like, you put it on, you turn, you mentally turn off. Yes. And you're just like, I'm going to willfully ignore this. But should we willfully ignore it? That's right. like the big question, too. You yeah, know? it's hard, too, because, like, with the Breakfast at Tiffany's example, that's one, we, it came up on a seven-year itch. Like, for whatever reason, I can give Holly Golightly a pass. Yeah. Be, and I think now that I think about it, it's because Audrey Hepburn plays her with such sadness. Yeah. Like she, she's in on the fact that her life is sad and that it's not the, what she would have wanted. Right. Um, and, and then yet Marilyn Monroe plays the girl because she doesn't even have a name uh, in seven year itch as just like, why does this keep happening to me? <laughs> right. Weird. And it's just like, so I think that's it's, why I can give breakfast at Tiffany's a little bit, not for the Asian representation, no, obviously, but like they try and give Holly some autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they think they do again, right. but that's like, uh, who wrote that script? It was Truman Capote. Yeah, Truman. It's his novella. Yeah, which is sure. even more strange because, like, I'm not saying that gay men. Yeah, there are certainly a great number of gay men who just completely do not like operate well with women at all, and I still don't fucking understand that. <laughs> but uh, he might. But yeah, and you know, why didn't Harper Lee rack him upside the head? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. The novella is is you know very different than the movie. Yeah. So we know that, and um, and I don't know who wrote the screenplay, but it, I think it might have been one of those things where they take the nugget of Holly Golightly and, and just, sort of just yeah, because and I've always heard rumors that Holly Golightly was based on Marilyn Monroe. Oh, um, so I don't know if that's actually true or not, or if it's just something I made up because sometimes I pull facts that are just completely made up, uh, out of my brain. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, but you know, speaking of like, I feel like when Harry met Sally, um, has aged really well. So well. Um, I was actually very surprised because when it comes to romance, especially, right. sometimes it is just like, oh, this is, I mean, I get it. I get why it's important, but this is challenging. But yeah. when Harry Met Sally feels, and I wonder if it's because it's about adults. Yeah, well, one of the other reasons I wanted to pick this into, into, on top of, and I guess I suppose, again, I should save all this, uh, but one of the reasons I wanted to pick it is because I also, outside of horror, do write romance movies. And I think yes. that this is like atypical to the romance movie which is, which is why it works well and by the way i have been recording this whole time so we're okay. in it so okay. you're good but uh so you don't have to save anything let okay. it let it flow <laughs> but um no i that was part of the reason why i was also really glad that you picked this movie in addition to it being kind of counter what people might think right. uh, for for you and for your your brand for lack of a better term um you do write romantic movies yeah and and you know there is such a when you're writing a type of movie as like a real type of film there are beats or things that you think or know the audience who's loyal to that type of film will want to see, whether right. it's horror, romance, you know, et cetera. And, uh, and, you know, so I was curious to get your take on, on that with respect to this. Of course. You know, I think the thing is uh, the modern romantic comedy tends to have a framework that is so culturally ingrained with how our movie-going experience is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's something that we both no, but also expect. Like, mm -hmm. so when you go, you know, that, you know, they're probably going to butt heads at some point and then some sort of incident's going to bring them together before like a third act uh, sort of uh, misunderstanding pushes yes. them apart before the final reel where they come together and have like a kiss and all is well and they meet on top of the roof of the, you know, yes. Empire State Building yes. or whatever. Um, but 
what I think really is cool about When Harry Met Sally is it is perhaps the quintessential romantic comedy mm -hmm. that does not adhere to that formula at all. Right. Uh, in fact, for most of the movie, they actively are working at not being a couple. Yep. And I love the idea that when they first meet on that road trip, mm -hmm. they hate each other. Yeah. And she's not real thrilled to see him the second time either. Mm -hmm. And um, there's something really great about that. And I, I really just think that it is all about human interaction. And I think what really is great about When Harry Met Sally is rather than uh, painting them as rom-com archetypes, they're just sort of like real people. Yes. And that's what makes you fall in love with them. Yeah. Because he's a little difficult, but so is she. Mm -hmm. And and they kind of take turns over being who's the more problematic one. Uh, but you like them both. Yeah. And what I like is you're rooting for them both, mm -hmm. even if they're so not aware. That's the whole, like, I think, crux of the movie is how oblivious they are the entire time. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think there is something kind of knowing about a lot of rom-coms where it's just like, this is the guy, this is the girl, and uh, if you don't think they're ending up by the end, I don't know what movie you're watching. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I was re-watching the movie, because Meg Ryan is such an interesting figure, she's somebody that I actually think is far more talented than than most people give her credit for. Yes. Because she, she is the rom-com girl or was the rom-com girl. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... Sally Albright is a real person. Right. Like there are, and there are, you know, and, and you know, another thing I like is her relationship with Marie, with Carrie Fisher's character. Yes. Because you see them both being very honest with each other. Right. Like it's not that rom-com thing of like, oh, will my, the, the man I'm cheating with, will he ever leave his wife? Gee, I don't know, maybe. Right. You know, it's like, it, she, Sally straight up says, no. Yeah. That's never going to happen. You're my friend. Like, get get serious with your life. And that's the type of friend you hope you have. Right. You know? Um, as opposed to, like, the, the purely, usually comic relief friend in a traditional or typical rom-com. What I love about that pivot, too, is you know very much that Carrie Fisher would have been that friend. Oh, absolutely. So it, it's so kind of cool to see Carrie Fisher kind of be like, He's never going to leave her. No. Like, Carrie Fisher would be the person yes. that would be like, he's never going to leave yes. her. Like, yes. Uh, oh, I, and I think the whole cast of this movie is great. And I, I think it was really well curated. I mean, this movie is populated with writers and, yes. and uh, people who are all about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's what lends itself. There is a, a level of truth to it. Mm -hmm. um, in that romance. Yeah. Do you, what, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Uh, I do. Um, it was very early because uh, this came out in 1989. Yes. Uh, I, I didn't see it immediately. I was probably too young for it. But I did see it at home on a video. And uh, I don't know that I got all the nuance of it right away. Sure. But, you know, there is something about When Harry Met Sally that even when you're a kid, uh, it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's something very colorful and, uh, and joyous about it that even though it wasn't necessarily the kind of movie that I might have been like interested in, in engaging with, 
when my parents rented it, I surely sat and watched it. Yeah. And I remember when uh, Sleepless in Seattle came out and we went to the theater as a family to go see it. Mm. My mom was like, oh, you know, the person who wrote this wrote When Harry Met Sally. And I was like, oh, I know that. Mm. Uh, and so it was sort of one of the first movies where I became aware of, you know, the craft of a specific person. Mm. And in this case, that would be Nora Ephron, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting that, you know, she is so foundational to my own understanding of movies because I and my career are so widely why, uh, uh, widely connected to horror that, um, yeah, of course there are the John Carpenters and the Wes Cravens of it all. But uh, when I think back how, um, Nora Ephron really had an impact because it was the work that she was doing, especially in the era when I was growing up that made me like really understand like what a cinematic love story looked like. Yeah. And, um, you just look at scenes from when Harry met Sally as Rob Reiner directed from her script. And I think of those like, clip shows they do at the Academy Awards every year where they're like, what are the moments that made you fall yes. in love with the movies? And even the scene of Harry and Sally driving away from the college with the autumn leaves, like at the beginning, that's yes. the, one of the first shots. And they just get more beautiful yeah. as it goes. You th I think to myself, this is the kind of movie that makes you fall in love with movies. Yeah. And um, so I, I remember seeing it for the first time as a kid on video and loving it but maybe not fully understanding why mm -hmm. I loved it and then it just kind of grew over the years and then I think there's something about seeing it later as an adult after you have fallen in love or maybe not had love work out yeah. that makes it ring even more true and it's a movie that I, I return to a lot because I love the authenticity of it yes but I also love the magic of it it exists sort of in a place where we've all been in a relationship that doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. uh, we've all had the friend that we relied on to help us through. And maybe we've also had the friend that we were oblivious to the actual romance that could be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's something really cool about that. It's, it, it, in a way, When Harry Met Sally is the perfect kind of magical realism. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's I, I was thinking about some of my favorite visuals from the movie are the montages just of them doing stuff in New York right. where there's no... You can tell that they're acting out a scene, but there's no dialogue. It's just that beautiful Louis Armstrong playing over it. Right. But it feels like moments. Like Rob Reiner, as a director, captures real moments and you kind of wish that, like, I wish that I was on that street corner kind of eavesdropping and I could right. hear what they were saying. And then the juxtaposition later of when Sally is doing all of those things alone is really, you know, or, or making her way through the city by herself, it, it, it's, it feels bad like it's such it you know when she's dragging that christmas it's tree it's so sad yeah. and he lets it go just a little long you know she just he's like i just hear him off camera being like keep going meg keep going <laughs> and like because she's like oh you know and but she plays it so she's great i mean that's perfectly. the thing she's so earnest yes what I, I do like uh, your referencing New York because when we talk about, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but when you talk about cinema history, mm -hmm. uh, many, many movies over the years have, have served as love letters to New yes. York. Uh, and, and, you know, Annie Hall or like the works of Scorsese, Spike Lee does it in a different sort of way. But it, uh, it's all of these uh, movies that just really show you that New York is a character. Yes. But in this movie particularly, I think New York serves a purpose uh, in a very powerful way that it does not get credit for. Because especially when Harry and Sally are finding each other, yeah. uh, every scene that they're in 
is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea that, you know, when they're in the park with all of the autumn leaves or like where every time, every time they're at a party, there's an amazing view. Yes. Harry's apartment overlooks the empire state building. And it's like everywhere they are is inherently romantic. Mm -hmm. And, what I think that serves is that it shows like here these two are and all of these like places that would be the perfect romantic place and they're oblivious mm-hmm. to it. So it shows how romantic a place can be, but how lonely a place can be yeah. too. And I think that that is the best showcase of New York because if you've ever lived in a big city with that much personality, it's so true on the days that it feels powerful. It feels like nothing better. Yes. And on the days when it feels lonely, it feels like in a city of a million, you're by yourself. Yes. And I think that Rob Reiner captured that in such a beautiful way. There's moments in that movie that, as you said, when she's dragging the tree or, you know, when he's laying in bed after he hangs up the phone and he's looking out like this should be like a real, like he's looking out at the empire state building, but he's, sad yeah and I think that um it's a movie that you that makes your heart happy and makes you want to cry at the same time and a lot of that has to do with where they are and how he frames them yeah New York is I lived in New York for a year my my first year of college and it was not for me I thought for sure I was going to be a New Yorker I'll you know I'd visited I have family in Long Island like I I thought I thought for sure I was going to be a New Yorker and I wasn't and you know it's really easy to feel either as like you were saying uplifted by the magic and the beauty of that city or completely squashed by it right and and, but you know what I do also like is, so when it comes to the magic, like the thing that's so cool about this movie, and I think that is intentional from Nora Ephron, is the idea of in a city of a bazillion people, fate, being fated to run into this person at that time, right. whether it's Helen, his ex-wife that causes Harry to have like a meltdown, um, or whether it is, you know, um, in passing when Harry and Sally bump into each other again. But it's, it is a bit to me of her, of, of Nora Ephron sort of saying, this is the magic of life. Yeah. And, and, and the belief of, and, there, and it's, it is a romantic idea. It is. That when you need something or someone, even if a, in a city of a mil- millions and millions of people, why would you ever cross paths? Well, the train was not working this day or I couldn't catch a cab, so I had to walk and boom, something happens. Yeah, you find that person. And I think that it's true, right? I mean, we live in Los Angeles and uh, I think that it's a city of 10 million when mm-hmm. you take into account all of the surrounding areas. Uh, and I feel sometimes I run into the same people all the time, yeah. which, you know, just by sheer numbers statistically shouldn't be possible. Right. Um, but this movie highlights it in, in a way that is romantic. It makes you kind of believe in, in, in romance because these two kept finding each other. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I think it's great. I do have to ask after the breakdown, um, at, after seeing Helen, uh, what do you think of the wagon wheel table? <laughs> I hate the wagon wheel table. It's pretty awful. It's so yeah, yeah. awful. But I also <laughs> love my, one of my favorite lines in this whole movie. And it's not only the line, but it's the delivery is Carrie Fisher saying, I will never fight you for that wagon wheel. <laughs> it's just like, I, it's so, it's so good. And that's so Carrie. Oh, it's yes. so Carrie, yeah. And it's so, you know, I, listen, as a, as a basic white lady from the suburbs, uh, I recognize a lot of myself in a character like Sally like there and for in good ways and bad ways and in a character like Marie in good ways and bad ways and there is something about yeah like there there are a couple
couple of very specific chuckles that I get in this movie where I'm just like, yeah, it, the, it me. Like the ordering. Right. It's, and Sally says, she's like, listen, I just want it the way that I want it. And it's right. like, what's wrong with that? You know, she's not rude. She's not demanding. She just very carefully illustrates. I was reading that Nora Ephron based that on her own life. Yeah, I and, believe that. And uh, there was a tidbit that I, when I was, uh, after I rewatched the film, I kind of did a little deep internet sure. dive. Uh, as you do. And uh, someone recounted a story that she was on an airplane back when you could order food on airplanes. And she was like, I want this, but I like this and blah, 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 blah. And I guess the flight attendant said, oh, he was like, have you ever seen When Harry Met Sally? Because you order like her. Oh. And not knowing that it, it's that her. her. Yeah. Wow, that's great. And that is, of course, quoting a, a version of quoting somebody back to somebody, right. uh, which which also happens in the in the movie. It's very, you know, it's very, uh, yeah, I like it. And I also think that to to just give um, Meg Ryan a little more, you know, a, just a little more praise because I think she deserves it. Yes. Um, she Meg Ryan is. Funny, mm-hmm. and and Meg Ryan understands timing, and she also isn't like I remember growing up in the '90s and seeing people do impressions of Meg Ryan because at that point she was again the rom com girl, right. and it was the crinkly nose and it was like eyes closed and like goofy smile and her chin out. Whoever was doing the impression like on Saturday Night Live or something, right? And I understand how one can sort of become a character caricature of themselves especially you know if that's your bread and butter if that's what you get known for and you're making big money and you're getting to do whatever it is like in your career that's great but um but in this movie Sally is a character yeah like there are there is nuance there and the pain like the pain that that break when she so uh, during right before she and Harry sleep with each other for the first time that breakdown I think about that all the time the dialogue in that scene I think about all the time the idea of you know he he didn't want to marry me right and the the weight of that realization and the denial that we sometimes have to function in right. in order to just make it through the day and then having it come crashing down yeah. on you yeah you know i think that she was given a very difficult task that she was delivered with flying colors but i think when people think about Romantic comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and especially a role like this. And you, I think that listeners have to remember, too, that when Harry Met Sally came out at this time, Meg Ryan was an actor, but not quite established right. in this way. And she was in this movie by a known director starring opposite a comedian that the audience was already very familiar with who gave us what Billy Crystal does. Yep. And Billy Crystal, I think, is great in this movie, but like it's a very Billy Crystal kind of character constructed around the friendship that Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal already sure. have. What is difficult about the task that was laid out for Meg Ryan is Meg Ryan not only had to play someone that Billy Crystal fell in love with, but someone that we fell in love with too. Mm -hmm. And it sort of seems easy, but that is not easy Mm -hmm. because over the course of this script, there is a character who is at times presented as difficult, Mm -hmm. uh, but she gives us just enough of all of the aspects of who Sally is that even if you're like, ah, this woman who orders dressing on the side Mm -hmm. or whatever, I relate to her because in some way we all should. 
And that's not an easy job for an actor. Mm -hmm. And I think that one thing that has always been uh, particularly troublesome to me about how the academic elite views film criticism yeah. is a, sort of a dismissal generally uh, uh, of comedic performances mm -hmm. or performances in films that are not necessarily considered to have the weight of drama. Right. Uh, and I think a great example of that that I always return to is uh, the people who suggest in some way, shape, or form that Marissa Tomei did not deserve her Oscar in My Cousin yep. Vinny. Mm -hmm. uh, what Marissa Tomei did in that movie is not easy to do. Comedy is not easy to mm -hmm. do. And I think that when you look at performances, and it's not just to discount dramatic performances sure. at all, but when you can sell something that captures the heart, that makes us laugh, but also makes you feel like that's a real person, that is an impossible task yeah. done by a very talented person. And Meg Ryan, in a way, is the hinge on which this whole movie relies upon. Yeah. Because everything else, if, I mean, obviously the script and the direction are flawless. Billy Crystal is bringing his absolute best, but you need her to introduce you to this world that they already inhabit. Yeah. Because she's, she's the one that pulls up in the car. Mm -hmm. We're her driving into the movie. Yep. And we're her going on that journey. And uh, so I get real bummed out when people are just like, oh, it's just a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. Because how many romantic comedies do you see that, like, okay, it's fun, it's a nice rainy afternoon movie, and then you never think about it again. Right. But this movie has teeth, that has impact, and we're still talking about yep. it. It's on the AFI list for a reason. Yeah. Uh, because there is so much more yeah. than just a ha-ha moment. There, there is weight. I think there's nuance and in, in, in layers to this. And uh, that's not an easy job for any actor, let alone an actor who had not yet really been established. Mm -hmm. So kudos to her for establishing a whole career after it. I but, couldn't yeah. imagine being in that position with um, two, two, a writer and, I'm sorry, a director in Rob Reiner and an actor in Billy Crystal who are friends, who are known as comedy icons and right. being, and, and knowing that there is a stigma about women and cute women, that they're not funny right. and they don't get it. And it, it's like, I would be, I'm pretty confident in my ability and I would be intimidated. Right. Absolutely. You know, when you're walking into this pre-established relationship and you have to bring the goods. The other part of it is Sally's character actually changes. Yeah. And and Harry for the most part stays kind of the same. I mean right. now things about him change. Right. But Sally, we in listening to her, her worldview evolves. Right. Um and and you know, that's nothing to say that there's anything wrong with Harry Burns, but like I think the big telling moment is is when they have the conversation and te a telling moment is they have the conversation about Casablanca right. and she says, you know, like, oh, I you know, of course she leaves cuz she's practical and this and then years go by and she says, "Why would I say that? I would never say that." Right. You know, and it's just like and yes, it's a cute funny moment. I do that too. My boyfriend right. and I all the time, I'll be like, "I never said that." And he's like, "Oh, really?" You know. <laughs> But, but on a deeper level, the way she sees love, the way she sees what's important, the way right. she has that outlook on relationships in that one example has changed. Right. And I think that, isn't that the truth of, yeah. all, of, like, of love, you period? Hope? Yeah. You, we all change. And I guess, you know, that's sort of in a way also what, what this movie kind of tells us is, is who we are and how we love changes. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes it's just crucial to find that person who changes in the same ways. Right. Uh, and that's, it's no harm, no foul either way, but, um, you know, as long as you're being a decent person. Yeah. Um, but I think that is part of the impact here is Harry and Sally would never have gotten together at the beginning because they were not those people yet, Mm -hmm. but they could be. Right. There's a moment, uh, okay. So there's also some stuff in this movie that I will never forget that like makes me nervous. Okay. So, so I, I, through my entire single days, which, which were plenty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, dating in LA is hard. Um, I would think about the line that Harry, Harry's line where he says, you know what you're thinking about after he finishes, how long do I have to hold her before I can get up and leave? Right. That was burned into my brain since I was a teenager. Sure. I can't imagine being a woman dating in the world with that kind of like dialogue in such an iconic. Yeah. I also thought about the scene when uh, they're driving at the beginning when he says, well, you know, men and women can never be friends. Yes. Which I think that like, you know, when you're a little kid watching it, you just kind of like take into account like this is just what the character says. But I think that there is like now as adults in the world, we know there are people who think that. Yes. And it's... uh, it is something that is, I, I think, merits a discussion. I don't think that like it is is problematic about the movie mm-hmm. because I think it forces you to have that talk. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't. I can't even imagine. I mean, it, and if anything, it's it really is a very astute observation about what a certain type of man sees a woman, a certain type of woman's value in the world. Right. Like that is a very um, and you know what? It's not untrue right. for a lot of men. Is is that well? Of course, I only see you in this way. Right. You know, and the conversation she has with Joe, like you know, would, would you? Do you think that's true? No, I don't think that's true. Do you have any women friends? No, I don't have any women friends (laughs) right I mean it's just like it's a very painful sad you know and now I mean listen this is a leap but it's true we have a vice president who literally has said I won't have a dinner with another woman it doesn't matter if that's not my wife if it's and it's like but oh my god like like the from a professional standpoint, from a from a friendship standpoint, from any standpoint. And he's saying, no, I don't feel comfortable having dinner with another woman that's not my wife. Well, it's so dehumanizing. It's so uh, dehumanizing. I mean, because basically what's being said is I cannot view women as my equal. I cannot view women as other people. I even like get bothered when like there there's this the the faux nobility of this discussion like when people are like, well, we have to stand up for women because my mom yes. and my sister. Yes. And I'm like, how about because they're fucking people? Yes. Can I swear? I'm yes, sorry. you can. Okay. Uh, Please. I'm so used to swearing on my own show. Yes. That, like I was swearing I, as well. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, yes, of course I respect my mom and, you know, the women in my life because they're in my life. But I also respect them because they're human beings. Yeah. And the idea that some men have this thing where it's like, well, I cannot interact with a, with a woman uh, unless my wife is around to keep me in check yeah. because like I like what the hell yeah. like that's so messy yeah it's... and it's also a bigger cultural problem and I think that uh, you know what's great about it in the context of when Harry met Sally is it is being written by a woman yes so Nora Ephron as far back as like I'm assuming this was written several years before the movie was right. made so it's in the mid 80s she's looking at the sexual politics of the 80s uh, and is probably like. I want to peel some layers back on this. And I have a feeling that when you went to see this uh, arguably cute date movie 
with your partner in 1989 when it came out that one of the, the, the sub goals of this movie on Nora Ethbron's part was to get like couples to sit in the car afterwards and be like, wait, could we actually be friends? Yeah. And you know, if that forced that discussion with some people, then good. I, I, well, hopefully it went well. But. <laughs> yeah, there's no guarantees yeah. on the outcome. No, I mean, like, and again, this is a very sneakily, um, I would argue it's in a lot of ways, it could be, it's a very sneakily sec, uh, uh, feminist movie. Sure. Because it's, it's also, you know, like, there is comedy to Bruno Kirby and Billy Crystal hitting baseballs and him being like, it's like I can just talk to her. It's right. like I could just tell her anything. Anything? Yeah. And and of course it's an authentic, very real seeming conversation that right. I'm sure is had even to this day regularly. But it's also recognizing the comedy of can you believe it? You right. know? And on top of that, letting Sally take out a feel and experience the rage of feeling taken advantage of right. um you know like i really appreciate that sally is able to say harry you're gonna have to move out of new york because you fucked everybody in this city right. and it's not making you feel any better about helen is it right and of course they both apologize right after that. Right. But it's like, that is some truth that I am ready for. You know, if Sally has to listen to Harry say, all men think about what's the soonest I can get the fuck out of this apartment. I already got what I want. Can I please leave now? Right. That is a hurtful thing to hear. It doesn't right. mean it's not true. And it doesn't mean he shouldn't have said it. You right. know, my boyfriend and I have had conversations before where I'm like, Thank you for being honest. I'm glad that you told me the truth. Right. However, what you just said is we got an issue here. And it doesn't mean don't tell me these things in the future. Right. But it also means now we have to address that, you know? I think if there was ever a, in like a, a minor misstep in this movie and i actually think this is a perfect movie yeah and so like for me to even say this is like hard for me sure but it is the fact that it is established throughout the movie harry tells sally all of these things which she you know at the diner on the walks yeah. like you know counters with and she talks to him like do you understand what you're saying like when you say this how hurtful this is as a woman even though you feel you can talk to me do you not hear yourself and then when they do finally sleep together the one like slight issue that I have yeah. is like when they're cuddled up in bed, she's just all like tee hee. Yes. And it's sort of like, if I were her, I mean, you know, as someone who also dates men and knows like how problematic they are. Uh, if a man said that kind of stuff to me and I'm laying in bed with him post act, yes. no matter how great it was, I'm going to be thinking to myself, is he now thinking this about me? Right. Because he has been saying this to me for years. Yes. And that was the one thing that I thought was like a little weird yeah. because of how actualized Sally is the rest of the movie. Yes, I agree. But, um, you know, I do think that one thing that that scene is definitely pivoted towards Harry because I do think that, you know, Harry stays Yeah. because he does actually care about her. And that's supposed to show the audience like he stayed because he actually likes her. And I think that that's sort of what the purpose of that scene is. But he's like struggling with the fact like, oh, my God, this is true. Yeah. So it's a weird pivot moment because then for a brief period, we're all about Harry getting over his own like weird, you know, chauvinism. Yeah. Which it's like, OK, I get it. The movie's about both of them. But I, I do think that there is 
an interesting thing that they sort of like took a moment to, you know, forget that Sally was very woke to all of these other things. Yeah, I would also say that to me that moment, because I noticed it this last time too, that moment is maybe the only place in the movie where I feel like they lean into the comedy they pick comedy over content. Right. Like it's a, we get the, I, you get the joke without even a word being said. Right. The image is him being like, oh God, and her right. being like, yay. Exactly. And, yeah. and that, you get the gag, right? Right, right. off the bat. I, will, I was also thinking about how it's like, how, okay, how do you have Sally be, because I'm thinking, okay, if I'm the writer, what's my justification here? Right. for for Because everything you said is correct. And to me, it's, well, Sally knows, Harry and I have been friends for however many years. We know we care about each other. I'm different. Right. But then how do you have that conversation, like, with the audience? Or how do you have that conversation with herself? Right. Where she's not being like, but I thought I was special. Right. Like, it's a weird kind of slippery slope. I The only two scenes in that way that stood out to me leaning into the comedy was just that image, that scene is, is yeah, is very like, okay, haha, we get it. And also the scene in the museum where he's doing the voices and she's mimicking the voices back. Right. And like, it's it's cute and we get it, but also like, I was like, wow, it's so weird to me how this this one scene that I always thought was very charming, now I find very annoying. Right. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know what's changed in me. Maybe it's I'm, I'm over shtick. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, Well, I think what it is too is it's... It, it is shtick for sake of covering authenticity. Yeah. Uh, and I think the reason we're over it is like, we are now adults living mm -hmm. in the world and we have been on dates where people kind of hide behind something yeah. as opposed to staying. Cause he's asking her out yeah. in that scene. And when she reveals that she's got like a date because she doesn't realize he's asking her out, he falls into this like humor. Yeah. And it's sort of like, and it's a lesson that we all could learn. And it's something that like is actually far easier said than done. But sometimes when you have feelings, you just need to say it. Yeah. And either the person is going to take it well or it's not, but then at least you know. And, like, rather than harbor and pine and, like, you know, have a whole, like, mess of a life because of it, uh, I think that, I don't know. It's it, it, that's, that's what's interesting about Harry is I think Harry fell in love with Sally far earlier than mm. Sally fell in love with Harry, and that scene is a mm. indicator of mm -hmm. it. Uh, I mean, because I think about the scene where they're all at dinner and he's literally like, well, Sally likes this and blah, 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 blah. And again, it's the obliviousness or sure. we're supposed to read as the obliviousness. But then there's also just what you're saying. He asks her out. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I can't tonight because I have a date. And you're like, girl, get it together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Well, and also, you know, I will say that I, I really appreciated uh, the the lengths that Harry goes to to get her to pick up the phone. Yes. Like, it, it that could have been shtick. See, this is, okay, so that's a great example. That's why that montage, to me, works, is right. because it is him leaning on his thing, I'm the funny guy, but also sincerely saying, please call me, I'm sorry, I want to talk to you, this is, you know, and, right. and not giving giving up. And that is not masking any sort of, of you know, it, it's it's an honest um, reveal or or dialogue coming from him. Whereas the scene in the museum is like kind of like just ask her, like you said, just, just ask, ask her, her out. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I suppose that we've probably all been there yes. with like two friends that are like circling each other, and you're just like, get it together. Yeah. But you can't also be that person to tell them to get it together. So it's sort of like, in a way, maybe this is just proof that we like these characters enough that we're sitting there in, in the room like. 
dude, yeah. come on. You know? And timing is everything. Like Always, this, yeah. I think that especially when it comes to romantic relationships and when you, when you think about romantic relationships or, or evaluate your own or other romantic relationships, timing is such the key. And I think that's the thing that, you know, like if I were younger, if I was telling a young person who was thinking about love or experiencing love for the first time, like if I could tell them one thing, it would be sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes it's not the right time right. At, for reasons you don't understand or for reasons the other person maybe doesn't even understand. Well, I mean, it's abused culturally as an actual excuse to break up, but as a joke that it's not you, right. it's me. But like in some cases in life, that's actually true. Yes. Like there are people who who in on paper and in any other circumstance would make perfect sense, but maybe you're going through something. Yes. You're having uh, a bad time at home. You're going to move like blah, blah, blah. All of the things yeah. that affect, because love is pure, but it's not completely unconditional no matter what movies tell us. Right. There are things that happen that make it difficult. People who are very much in love have issues related to things that are not romantic. You yeah. Know? And, uh, this movie does highlight that in a very powerful way because, you know, I think about that, that uh, confessional, is that what we're calling? The sure. Where she's just like, you know, the first time we met, we hated each other. Yeah. And the second time we met, we still hated each other. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, I, I think that does happen. Um, it is all about timing. Yeah. Uh, and you can't always go on a double date with uh, Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby to, to fix it. Much so. as much as much to uh, my disappointment, I wish I could go on that double date. They're both gone. I know. It's so depressing. Yeah. yeah. It's I've noticed through this podcast, especially like some of the movies that I'm watching, and some of them aren't even old movies. Right. How many people are not with us anymore? It's wild. And it, yeah. it is. It's wild and it's it's very it kind of is a gut check on yeah. like, wow, you know, life is Short and everyone dies. And this movie, especially, I mean, Nora Ephron has passed away. Yeah. Carrie Fisher, Bruno Kirby. Uh, I think it's it's just so kind of interesting the impact of art that you can create something yeah. so monolithic mm -hmm. and how quickly you can go away, but it stays behind. For, yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to like the next part where you tell me the movie you would add, okay. um, is there anything else about When Harry Met Sally that you wanted to touch on that we haven't uh, covered yet? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I just think this movie is magical. Um, anything I want to touch on? I, you know, we talked about the New York of it all. We talked about the the, the dynamics uh, of that that. Men are from Mars, women are from yes. Venus conversation that very much goes on. Uh, we talked about the creative force. We did touch a little bit upon her, but before we head out, I do I do want to say that this movie exists because Nora Ephron was so powerful with the pen. Yes. And we in this era, working in the film industry, where every year the discussion comes up again, like, why are there not more women behind the camera? We can't find them. And first off, appalling. Yeah. But Nora Ephron was and is proof that great female creators have been there all along. Yeah. And that if this industry was taking chances, and it's not even taking chances, if this industry was not being stubborn, yeah. Uh, how much art and great art did we miss out on? Yeah. Like, what could we have had? But I'm glad that she was able to get out there because honestly, for an industry that likes to willfully turn its head away 
from women, from people of color, from anyone who would be considered other, uh, some of the most impactful moments in cinema have come from the voices that were marginalized. Mm -hmm. And here is a movie that was, is, to me, the foundational romantic comedy of contemporary cinema, mm -hmm. crafted by one of the greatest writers to ever write films. And uh, I'm just happy that her legacy continues, because from this, she continued on to The Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. You've got mail. But, uh, you know, and she wrote books, and she she was a great mind, and um, I, I just, I like, I'm, I'm a fanboy. I love her, and uh, it just makes me sad that we don't get more. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I was, as you were talking just now, I was thinking about how, you know, we were making the Princess Bride sort of comparison, and William Goldman is considered to be one of the greatest writers the in in modern culture, you yes. know, um, he, books, screenplays, uh, theater, like, et cetera. And, and, you know, when I was thinking about the dialogue, cause the dialogue, the, the love and the comedy in both of these movies are what make them endure. Right. And, and, and I think about the, and I think about William Goldman, it's very easy for us to go, oh yeah, one of the greatest writers ever. Right. But when I think about this script, especially when you're talking about like a, a, a love story that is funny, right. it's absolutely on par with, with that material as well. And we don't celebrate Nora Ephron as much as we should. No, and I'm, I'm sure like in certain circles, of course she is. But like for the world at large, I think that, you know, uh, when when people talk about these movies, it's always quick to say like, this is a Rob Reiner film. Yes. And it is. Rob yes. Reiner's stamp is on it. Totally. Rob Reiner uh, was very like dug deep into his life. Rob Reiner has always been very open about the fact that he struggles with depression, which influenced some of how Harry was presented. Mm -hmm. uh, for listeners who don't know uh, the conversation that Sally and uh, Harry have on the phone where they just talk about movies before they go to bed is actually based on the friendship that Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal have. Mm. They just would call each other and talk. I, mean, I hope they still do. Mm -hmm. uh, and But that was something that Nora Ephron was able to take in conversation with Rob Reiner as well as the story that she had been creating and apply to show the humanity of all of the people. Yeah. Uh, and I think that what really works about this movie is it's not damning of any one person, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily celebratory of any one person mm -hmm. either. It is all about the innate humanness of all of the characters involved. And that is not an easy task in writing. And yeah. it takes a, a deft writer and a, a very uh, astute observer of the world. And... Um, I remember when she passed away, just thinking, you know, of course, it's unfortunate that she she is a human passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, but also what a blow to art yeah. because her voice was so singular. And uh, to know that what she did was kind of change the course of cinematic discussion, because there are, you know, all of the, the made uh, like all the made for TV rom-coms that I work on and every romantic comedy that's released to the theaters, uh, whether people are poking fun at the formula or poking uh, or like, you know, turning it on its head or, you know, they're sticking right in line with how it's done in a way at post 1989 exists because of her. Yeah. And that is so huge. Yes. That's so huge. And, uh, so that, that to me, like at the end of the day, uh, as, as a writer who adores other writers, I, I can't exit the conversation without, you know, bowing at the altar of mm -hmm. Nora Ephron because 
she she gave us the opportunity to not just have this conversation today, but she changed the conversation and, and movies. Yes, so. for sure. Yes, and for our audience, if you haven't seen the HBO documentary about her and her life and her writing and, and her, it's just, it's excellent. It's so good. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. It's so, it's inspiring and empowering and it's it's just great. Um, okay, so everybody gets to add a movie to the list okay. that they, that isn't on the list. Uh, so what, what would you add to the list? Well, uh, when given this charge, I have to say I, I really was thinking, what would I want to add to the list that also kind of had a kinship to When Harry Met Sally? Mm-hmm. It would be easy for me, coming from the genre community, to pick like a horror movie sure. or a thriller or something that I think is seminal and important and bring it in. But I wanted to, to in the spirit of this episode and this discussion, find something that there was, it was a connector that I think culturally has impact that there is a cultural discussion about but maybe doesn't get the respect it deserves. And I do have to delve a little bit into the personal uh, before I reveal. Um, One, uh, we we talked a little bit about her over the course of this episode because how can you not? But someone when I was growing up that was very important to me was Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I've I've written about this and I've spoken about this a lot. as with a lot of kids of, of my generation, of course, Star Wars was around and it was this sort of like uh, monolithic pop culture entity. And I got it. Like, you know, Princess Leia is cool. Like she's an action star in a way. Like we hadn't really had someone like that. Uh, but it didn't quite connect to me the way it did like with a lot of the other boys. Um, although I did like it. I mean, I had an Ewok stuffed animal. I was a fan. And it was cool to see her kill Jabba the Hutt. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I was at, uh, I, I'm a, a frequent book reader. I always am at bookstores, used and new and all that's in between. I stumbled upon a book that the world already knew about, but I didn't, uh, called Postcards from the Edge. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I read that book, I was obsessed. I kept it in my backpack for like two years uh, and I realized, I was like, this woman who, to a whole group of people, is this space princess, yeah. is actually acerbic and powerful. And uh, I used to say she was like my sarcasm guru because like she could be pointed and biting and smart. And uh, ways that like just the image of Princess Leia, I don't think always gave her the opportunity to be. And when I moved to Hollywood and I started writing and discovered that Carrie Fisher was not only, you know, this writer who I really, this author of books and uh, that I really enjoyed, but also one of the great script doctors of, of Hollywood uh, who went through and like many, many moments of many of the films that we hold near and dear, including many on the AFI list, secretly passed by her desk that she punched up. I realized that she was so very important to how we look at modern movies and we didn't even know. Uh, and it made me love her more. And uh, as, a, as a working screenwriter, but also someone who now I, I'm, I'm proud to say I do get hired to do script doctor work from time to time, which I can never really discuss because of NDAs. Uh, you know, I always think I'm like, this is what Carrie did and I just hope I'm doing right by her. Uh, so that long and drawn out uh, answer, I've always had a great affinity for Carrie Fisher. And I think that Her personal uh, demons aside, she was an immense talent and a powerful voice. And I I loved uh, when uh, the the first big women's march after Trump was elected Mm -hmm. happened. I remember going downtown Los Angeles in Pershing Square and seeing so many posters with her face. Mm -hmm. You know, of course it was Princess Leia and like, you know, today we rebel. Uh, But 
I remember thinking, yeah, she's Princess Leia. And the idea of rebellion uh, comes with, with the image of, of Princess General Leia. But really, it's Carrie Fisher, mm-hmm. because Carrie Fisher was the real rebel. And so I love the idea that like she gets to live on as the symbol of, of someone who puts the middle finger up to this establishment, who's tearing down the patriarchy with, with an idea. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 it's something I'm just like very, like I'm a huge fan of, and I never get to talk about. She's meant a lot to me as, as a creator and a, a writer. Uh, so my selection that I think would be a great companion piece to When Harry Met Sally, but is also uh, a movie that stands on its own, is the film adaptation of Postcards from the mm-hmm. Edge with uh, Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine. Um, it's not quite the book, but there's something great about it. Yeah. Because it's Carrie Fisher putting her demons on display. Uh, it's kind of an expose on Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, two powerful and amazing women in these roles. Uh chewing scenery and having the best time. And I just love a movie that's actually about women. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a movie about two strong women and their relationship with each other that is both fractured and loving and like they're mending it. And it's, you know, talk about something that not only passes a Bechtel test, you mm. don't even need to bring the Bechtel test in <laughs> because men don't even matter in this. Yeah. It's like, and that to me is like, that's what Carrie Fisher was all about. Like, let's let's tell our stories our way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Postcards from the Edge, I think, is such a cool adaptation. I could watch Shirley MacLaine in that red dress sing that song for days. <laughs> uh, Meryl Streep is just having a great time. And uh, it's a movie that I really, really uh, wish more people could get behind. Yeah. So. I've never seen it. I've seen clips. Mm-hmm. And uh, and um, there there's some songs. There are songs in that movie, yeah. right? A handful of them. And I've heard them. Right. But I, I've never seen it. And it's crazy because I do really enjoy Carrie Fisher's work. I recently started listening to a lot of her audiobooks. Um, oh, yeah. I listened to Princess Diarist. I listened to Wishful Drinking, which she reads both of them. Right. And uh, and Postcards from the Edge is on my, is on my app also. Right. Um, but I I really um yeah I she she really is somebody who and you know what's interesting is like the more I li- you know and it, maybe it's false modesty but I don't think that it was listening to her talk about her dealing with imposter syndrome like I do not belong here everyone's right. gonna find out that I'm not talented that I'm unattractive that I'm this that I'm that and but also you know her she, her not wanting attention, but having attention, right. and then being in that environment and going, okay, what do I do here? And clearly, she's a ham, so she's right. gonna, you know. So it's she's a, she's a really, really compelling, cool figure, and um, and I am a I am such a big fan of Shirley MacLaine's. Oh yeah, just in general. Uh, I completely on postcards from the edge related was in uh, Palm Springs over uh, New Year's, and I wandered into this bar that like plays uh, musical clips. Uh-huh. So like rather than music videos on the wall, they would just show clips from movie musicals. And while I was there, they had a clip from Sweet Charity. Uh-huh. And Shirley MacLaine is just, you know, if they could see yes. me now. And just watching that with like a bar full of people going crazy as if they were playing the new Rihanna song. <laughs> it was just like, she's so cool. Yeah. Like, I I, I don't know. I love it. I, I, and that's, again, it's sort of that casting of her in the movie was so smart because Shirley MacLaine has this long threaded through history of Hollywood that is sort of 
analogous to Carrie Fisher's yeah. and it, as well as, you know, runs parallel to Debbie Reynolds. Right. And so there was, there was a lot of, um, really smart choices by having these women who had lived it yeah. to also do it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think that, you know, uh, anything there was a mistake. Yeah, so. for sure. That's a good one. I, I definitely am going to need to put it on my priority list. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. Oh, well, if you do, let me know. I will. <laughs> I will. I will let you know. Well, this has been such a treat, and I'm so glad that we did this. I'm so happy to be here and get to talk about this amazing movie and get to talk with you. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming, and thank you for great choice, because I'm really glad. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that nobody has picked this one yet either. I was shocked, but I'm, I was also thrilled because it meant I got two. Yes. So. You, you got in before you got in early. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Clark. Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you all so much for listening. And just to give you an update, I did, in fact, watch Postcards from the Edge after Michael left. And I am so glad that I did. Uh, Shirley MacLaine is a goddess. And that's all I have to say. Um, coming this Thursday to Patreon at patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. There is a mini um, every Thursday. I have a mini episode that goes up for $5 and higher monthly contributors. Um, so I'll have more with Michael Verratti uh, this Thursday. So check it out if you haven't already. Um, and uh, and if you're not interested in supporting Patreon, th that's totally fine. Uh, please feel free to share the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, that is helpful too. Thank you all so much for listening and I will see you soon.